Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome, everyone, to our ACB Membership Committee seminar. I'd like to, um, hopefully, we have lots of people that are interested in membership and that you can share the information with your affiliates. Our topic for today is how to create a virtual or hybrid convention. And our first panel is the tools for planning a successful virtual or hybrid convention. And our panel members are Sheila Young from Florida Council of the Blind. She's the president. Katie Lear, she's the convention coordinator for the Florida Council. We have Sarah Harris from the California Council of Blind. She's the first vice president. We have I'm not sure if he's come yet, but Gabriel Lopez Cafati from Blind Pride International. And then we have Tyson Ernst from ACB Radio. So go for it, guys. Artist, this is Katie. Would you like me to start first or how do you yes, want to do please. this? Okay. Yes, I'm the convention coordinator for Florida Council of the Blind. I've con- coordinated the convention for a couple of years. The first year, we had our convention all set up, and that's when COVID hit, and we had it all set up. Everything was good to go. We had to con- cancel the convention, and then we had to make it virtual. And that was a lot, a lot of work. And we we all had panic attacks, and we said, you know, we're going to think outside the box, and we're going to make this work, and we did. So... Um, One of the things I will tell you, and we did the same thing with uh, setting up for a hybrid convention, where you want to start is you want to get pick your convention date. You want to get a hold of Debbie Hazelton at ACB Radio and make sure that that date is going to work for them because they are absolutely wonderful in helping us set things up, helping us plan the streaming, helping us with the Zoom room, everything that needs to be done. And Tyson's on the call, too, and he has... uh, also done some conventions and helping with all this, these uh, things too. Um, Rick Morin was very helpful to us in helping us set up our Zoom room, telling us the equipment that we needed for our for our um, virtual convention. We weren't we didn't we weren't as successful with our equipment, and then our board meeting it was the same way. But when we got to our hybrid convention, everything was flawless because all of us learned a lot in the last year and a half. So, like I said, go ahead, pick your date. Um, Then the next thing you want to do is you want to start with the planning of your convention. And probably you've already done some of this before. We have Mikey, who is our hotel coordinator. And one of the things we learned this year for our hybrid convention is that in years past, we had specific numbers of people for um, how many rooms we needed, how many people we needed from the banquet. Well, if you're doing a hybrid convention, you may have more people participating on Zoom that are coming to the meetings. So you may want to cut back in the number of rooms that you have in the hotel and the number of uh, people that are going to sit in your banquets to eat. Our program, we are 
constantly in contact with our membership in Florida because we tell them, this is your convention. We want you to pick the program. We want to talk about what you want to listen to. And that's really, really important. So we talk to our committee chairs. We talk to our our, uh, members and we have them say, okay, you want to do this program? So please write the program description up for me. Then they do that and they send it to me. And then I go ahead and I coordinate the program. Meanwhile, what's also going on is Leslie, she is uh, on our committee and she's in charge of fundraising and getting sponsors. She and Dan do that for us. And they got lots of sponsors for both years. This past year for our hybrid convention, it was wonderful. Um, And then she also did the last two years, she did an FCB auction, which we streamed on Zoom and on ACB radio. And we had people from all over the country call and bid on our auction items. It was a lot of fun. The first year was so funny because that was when we were going on with the shortage of toilet paper. And we thought that every prize should include a roll of toilet paper. But (laughs) it was kind of funny. Um, Leslie also did at the convention this year, she and Dan, they did a hospitality room where people could come in that were attending, could come in and relax and take it easy. Wanda did our exhibit room and one of the things, I'm sorry, our exhibit hall. And one of the things that she did was she was in contact with Debbie and Rick to work with her exhibitors on how to send video formats and audio formats to ACB radio so that they could play our exhibit information in between our sessions. And then Wanda also set up our exhibit hall. We have what is known as a convention call and the convention call needs to be sent out 60 days before the convention. And in the convention call, we have the program. And then we also have all the items that we're going to vote on during the convention. We, in the past, we've sent that out in, in large print to all members. But what was happening was a lot of members, because we couldn't read it, it was being wasted and thrown away. So we didn't want to waste all that paper. So what we did this year is we had the convention our presidents throughout the state of our chapters and our special interest affiliates get with their members find out who needed a large print program and i mailed that program to them then the program was also sent out via email to everyone that wanted a program we did have a registration charge of 25 dollars, and when you registered online the convention call as well as the registration form was put online so that people could um, check what they wanted to attend. And we, we kind of made a little bit of a mistake this year, and we will rectify it this year because we, we wanted to know how many people were going to attend each session. But what we were really looking at was how many people would need to be sitting in the chairs in the hotel. We were happy to have people attend on Zoom, but their physical presence was not in the hotel. So that's one of the things that you've got to be careful of, that you distinguish how many Zoom people are going to attend and how many people are going to physically attend at your meeting sites in the hotel. Um, So after we sent out the convention call, registration was open. People called in, they registered using their credit cards. If they did not want to use, use a credit card, they could mail a check to Sally, who was our convention registration lady, and then she would get them all registered. Sheila and myself and Sally registered a lot of people 
about one third of our people in Florida are not computer users. So they um, would needed help with registration. So either we helped them or someone in their chapters helped them. We had ACB was wonderful in helping us with Zoom hosts. We had two rooms this year. We had a Zoom room, which was managed by ACB radio. And then FCB has a Zoom account. And we had we managed that room with ACB hosts. So we had two rooms going on of programs. Um, one of the neat things we did, we had two banquets. Friday night was our scholarship awards dinner banquet. And what we did while people were eating dinner, Cassandra came around with a microphone and she let walked around to all the tables and she let everyone talk into the microphone so the people on ACB radio could hear what the convention was like, what we were doing. And Rick Morin played softly in the background some jazz music. So it made everybody feel like even though they were sitting at their homes, they felt like they were sitting at the banquet. And we know that it worked because it was really cool. We got texts from people that were listening on ACB radio saying, I heard you on ACB radio. <laughs> and then Saturday night, we had our FCB banquet and our speaker was Deborah Kendrick, and she did a wonderful job speaking. And then we also had an additional live auction where Leslie auctioned off four additional items and we all had a good time with that and Paul was our MC auctioneer so that's basically what we did on Sunday we had our business meeting and everything was done over zoom I sat in the back of the room on the ACB and some of the ACB meetings and I monitored exactly everything that was going on and we called on hands that needed to be called on so that's pretty much how it was handled and I know Sheila's going to talk about some of our expense and some of the things that we learned. Well, thank you, Katie. I don't think I have anything to add. You covered it all. Oh, yes, you do. Talk about money. <laughs> <laughs> That's Mark's job. <laughs> I, I have to tell everybody that is listening that, oh, my goodness, if we didn't have such an awesome convention coordinator and a great convention team, we wouldn't be able to do this. We started working on it, what, Katie, last September? and Shortly after the convention was over, we started thinking about how we want to do it. Yeah. I'm already think thinking about what's going to happen in May next year. So We got a week later. We're, we're starting in June next year. Okay. <laughs> so we got June 1st or 2nd. But it took so much planning, and we were so fortunate to have Rick Morin work with us as far as equipment purchasing, what we needed. He sent us the name of the item, where to buy it. It was just priceless because it was not cheap. To do a virtual hybrid convention, you've got to have certain mixers and you've got to make sure the settings are right and you've got to make sure it's going through correctly. And oh my goodness. And then we had the uh, audiovisual people from the hotel having to work with us. And it was pretty much a six o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night job. I can't tell you how much work was put into it. I can't tell you how much effort and time was put into it, but I do feel that it was extremely successful. I am very proud that we were able to do the first hybrid convention. And there were a few, a few little glitches um, the internet was going in and out on friday a little bit and we had to connect um i think they had to call the 
internet companies and they got something reset. So by the time our banquet started Friday night, that glitch was gone and the banquet was flawless. And then from that point on, it was flawless. We had more people attend that convention than we've had in quite a while. Our banquets were full. Uh, we had to, uh, they ran out of food. It was so, so many people attended in person. I think they were just ready to get out and be together. Our exhibitors did very well. People were happy to see them and happy to buy things. And trying to think. Uh, can you tell us how about the Zoom issue you had about uh, getting questions from the audience? Tell us about that. You we had a little have... issue with Zoom and uh, and getting people in the audience there in person. We, I know you we were did. Telling. We did have one meeting that we for, did not realize had gone into a practice mode. And when you set up a webinar such as this week, all of us that have been opening rooms for the meeting. When you first go into the webinar, it's in practice mode and you have to take it out of practice mode and put it in meeting mode. And we didn't realize that one meeting was. So unfortunately, we didn't we weren't able to have anybody in the meeting because they couldn't get in. Um, but we did we have didn't know. We didn't know. <laughs> you know? Luckily and, we did have the podcast. And so in the podcast are up right. on our website so right. that people can listen to that one meeting as well as all the, the other meetings. Right. All of our audios are on in archives on our website. And I believe they're on ACB's website as well. Yes. Um, the, we didn't have as many attend via Zoom as we were hoping. I do know people were listening on Lady A with ACB at that time, ACB Radio. And I do know that um, they were able to listen on their picture readers and on their phones. But I don't believe we had as many listening, I mean, you know, in the Zoom rooms as we were hoping to see. But this will never, we'll never be able to go back. This is something that we are going to move forward with from now on, because I don't think that our members would let us go back. And after we saw what we could do this year, I feel pretty confident that we can make it even bigger and better. So, Katie, what am I forgetting? Well, one of the things I thought was really interesting is that we had people not only from Florida, but people from all over the country, plus a few people out of the country listening to the convention. So yeah. when we're on ACB radio, we are really worldwide for people that want to listen. So Right. And we had the same with our option. And we had, <laughs> you know, and what I think one of your questions was, how did we determine the registration cost virtually or in person? We just decided that it was a flat registration fee. And if you registered, you were put in the drawing for a door prize. And we did, uh, our chapters did donate several door prizes. So we were able to have door prizes. So that was great. Um, and what else did we do that was? How did you oh, handle questions from the audience? Oh, that was okay. We learned something on that. <laughs> um, we did not have enough wireless microphones in our meeting room. So that is one thing we did learn. So if you have a room with 75, 80 people um, and you're planning on taking questions, be sure you have enough wireless mics and runners to be able to run to them because we missed several people because we couldn't see their hands or um, we didn't have enough time or we couldn't get somebody to them because we only had one wireless microphone and that did not work. So we did learn that. That was that was a good learning. 
Um, my, my microphone that I used on Zoom was a corded mic. So that's why I couldn't help mm-hmm. from the back of the room. But we only had, uh, actually, we had two, two mics. Two. So we took one, one from next them, door. Right. But, but we one actually of them was had on the podium. One right. of them was on the podium. So um, we really did learn a lot on that. So that was mm-hmm. a good learning. Um, let me think. What else? Did you handle questions from Zoom participants? Yes, yes. ma'am. Sure and did. The way, the way we did that, Katie and, and the Zoom host would tell us that they had a hand raise. And we thank all the ACB hosts that volunteered to help us. They were wonderful. Um, but we uh, took one or two from Zoom, and then we would take one or two from the audience. But we took the audience people first because, you know, I caught tech in the mid-year meeting because we took the zoom before we took the people in the room and the people in the room were saying we paid for the hotel we should go first (laughs) (laughs) so you know you never know you're you're darned if you do and you're darned if you don't so (laughs) but um i really think that fcb should be very proud of what we've done um as katie said we were the first state last year to do the virtual convention and we were the first to do a hybrid and we're going to keep doing hybrids. So, um, and I will, unless August, unless you have any other questions, I'll be happy to take questions when we're done, but, um, yes. Yeah. We'll you know, move on. Any, any president that wants to reach out to us to um, ask how we work through all the trials and tribulations, we are a hundred percent available. So, and I, again, want to thank Katie so much for all of her, hard, hard work and the time and effort she put into it. Well, I really enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to next year. And and all I have to say, you all, is if it can be done, just think outside the box and ask questions because it can be done. And there will be new challenges and we will have new situations. But you know what? We're going to figure it out. (laughs) And and it it takes thinking outside the box, that's for sure. (laughs) Sometimes the box is pretty big. (laughs) okay is uh gabriel here if not we'll move on to sarah i don't think i heard him come on he's not here he's not here all right so i see him he's in the attendees oh that's him we want to pull him up his last name's lopez right uh yeah gabriel uh, Lopez Cafati. Okay. Yeah, well, while he's pulling him up, him. we'll go ahead and let I Sarah get started. All right, sounds good. Here he goes. Uh, well, and I, I really want to start um, by echoing something that Katie and Sheila both emphasized are the two most important pieces. Is number one, um, remind your membership that this is their convention and ask for their input, their feedback. All of those things, they, they really help to put together something very successful and meaningful. Um, and then number two is put together an awesome team. And, you know, California definitely has an awesome convention team. And we broke up into subcommittees. And one of the things that artists wanted me to talk about today is um, our sponsors and exhibitors. And that was a team effort between we had a sponsor and exhibitor subcommittee as well as a tech subcommittee. And because we went into this, we were trying to figure out exactly what was going to work well. Um, because we weren't sure if we should do you know, live sponsors or if we should have exhibitor rooms. And so what we came up with was 
um, setting up a way where each of our sponsors and exhibitors would be able to record a video over Zoom um, and have that played during the convention during special sponsor and exhibitor highlight um, spots that we had. And along with that, the sponsors were given you know, X amount of minutes for live Q&A. Um, we didn't do that on the exhibitor side, and, and I feel that that was something that we've learned a lot from, um, and that's something that we're going to be working on is how we can strengthen the exhibitor side. But the sponsor side, it worked really well. Um, we partnered with a local uh, community media access channel here in Fresno, California, where I live, and they met with our sponsors and exhibitors over Zoom. They put together some great videos, did some good editing, and left us with something that not only we could use for our convention, but they could use the sponsors and exhibitors in their own marketing pieces, which is really important because again, it's about, you know, not just what you can, uh, you can give, you know, or what you can get, but it's about what you can give as well. We always want to remember that. What I also found that was really important was we also did little snippets. Um, we did PSAs that were about 30 to 60 seconds long. And those included information about um, each sponsor and exhibitor, how to get a hold of them. And we were able to use those throughout the convention, not only for marketing for them, but to be able to fill some small gaps. Um, and again, those were all videos and which was really important to our members who are partially sighted or have low vision or even those who are sighted to be able to have something to look at. And I think that's something that we've all learned is that, you know, the more that we can try to incorporate video, the better. Um, another tactic to really think about when you're, you know, looking for sponsors is, you know, think a little bit outside of your typical sponsors that you've always went with, um, reach out far and wide and, you know, find folks that are, you know, not, um, not always out in the limelight and talk with them more about uh, a continued partnership and not just about that event, you know, that weekend or whatever it may be, because these are, you know, relationships that you can build on and be able to, you know, feed each other, you know, throughout the year and not just when convention rolls around. And that that's really, really important. Um, with our tech side of everything with our tech committee. They worked with CMAC um, to make sure that the videos were all coming along really well. And they also really worked on, you know, making sure that um, we would have someone to play the videos. So of course, for our convention, we had Deb was our ACB radio person and she popped in and got to hit the button on all our videos and did a fantastic job. And so, but we had a backup. We had someone else from our committee that would be able to come in and, and play that on Zoom, make sure that it's streamed well over ACB uh, media. And so we're just having to, you know, double check and make sure that all that thing, all that those things were in place. And just to kind of add a little bit more onto the, the pre-recording um, part of things and how that was so helpful to limit the number of technical difficulties. Um, we pre-recorded tons of material. We had our first night of our convention was our CCB history night. And we met with uh, five groups of people and individuals to put together um, a series about uh, CCB history. We asked them about five or six questions. And then we took that and um, 
our fantastic tech, tech subcommittee uh, went through and edited hours and hours. I think we figured out it was about 16 hours of material and cut it down to about an hour and a half. And what was really nice was we, we were able to play um, about 20 minute segments and then um, open it up for a live Q&A with the audience. And then take all of that material and also have it, you know, archived. Uh, if somebody wants to listen to the whole thing, we pre-recorded our bylaws, our resolutions, our convention rules, um, even the pledge of allegiance and the uh, roll call of affiliates. And and that really, again, it saved time. It saved trouble. Um, and we weren't having to worry about, you know, someone not showing up or. You know, maybe their internet goes down, whatever it may be. So just really, you know, maximizing that amount of pre-recording is super important. Was there anything else you wanted me to touch on there, artists? I'm sorry, did you ask if there was any questions? I was asking if artists wanted me to touch on anything else. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> she's muted, and I'm not sure if she's having a hard time getting unmuted. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I do know that you know, and I think that we're, we're hearing it on both sides, both, uh, both sunny states, Florida and California is, you know, just really, you know, having a plan and putting it together and, you know, learning from what worked and what didn't work. Um, I know that we both probably have a beautiful list, you know, that we have put together of, okay, this worked well, but this could have been better with, with this different thing in place and keeping track of those things because time flies and you forget. And, and so it's just really, making sure that you're maximizing, um, you know, time that you spend with your committee and with your membership, asking questions about what did work and what didn't work and, and taking note of that and coming up with good timelines and, you know, setting goals and making them happen within a, a reasonable close to the deadline. I, I always say, say ish, right? <laughs> That's really important. And you, and you don't wait, you know, mm -hmm. don't wait till you're planning the next convention. Try to have a meeting shortly after the convention that you just held so that you can say, okay, let's do a review. Let's, let's, you know, say, okay, we think this went well, but we think this didn't. And you know, kind of have a little powwow, kind of, okay, what's everybody's thoughts, you know, what what did you hear, what did, what did the members complain about, what did they like, and um, I think that's an important um, fact, too, because I do feel that it's very, um, as, as I said, Katie said, and you said, you know, we're a member organization, we're not mm -hmm. the to run everything, you know, it's the members that um, matter because if we don't have members, we don't have an organization. Brandon right. Gabriel is still in the attendees and he's having a hard time getting up to the panelists. So you might want to try to send him a, a promotion again. Okay. Uh, Maybe raise your hand, Gabriel. Would that make it easier? That's a, for you? Well, yeah, but there are several hands up. So. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not sure that that'll help much, but um, he certainly can. But he just there. Like, he should be getting a pop up asking him if he wants to join. Thank you. Yeah, he just texted. He's having. He, he didn't get the notice. Oh, that's weird. Rude. Okay. It's a, it's oh. acted weird lately. <laughs> okay. Well, well, if if Gabriel is having trouble, why don't we go with Tyson, and then we can come back to Gabriel once he's able to unmute. 
Go ahead, Tyson. Hey, and it figures, you know, we're getting a, I'm getting the weird feedback bug, and I don't know why I'm getting it. So it's like an echo. I feel like there's two of me in here. Or I'm in this huge <laughs> room. Uh, you get two for the price of one. What do you know? So, <laughs> uh, so our job here um, with ACB Media is we kind of come in at your, at your first meetings, and we usually sit in the meeting and just listen to what you guys are doing. Um, we want to get a feel for what you want to do so that we know how to construct uh, the virtual side of it. ACB Media is really there to help you produce the virtual side of your convention. Uh, we don't come in and tell you how to run your convention or what you should do. We can offer suggestions based upon things that we've experienced. So myself personally, I've, been, I've done uh, coordinated 10 different conventions uh, and I'm getting ready to do my 11th here uh, with Arkansas in the middle of August. And uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting so many neat people. Um, I brought on new, there'll be, you'll see some new uh, faces. Uh, Cecily Nipper is ready to take on her own convention. She's become a wonderful coordinator in and of herself. Uh, Katie Lear here has been, she worked uh, uh, Arizona with me. And then uh, we've got Rick and Debbie. And we've got Katie Frederick does some. And of course, Deb Cook-Lewis. So um, really what our job is is just to, play, is, is to put this all out, um, everything that has to do with digital media. So we, we take a look and see, okay, so you, you're wanting to do vendors and you want to do exhibitors. And how do you want to do that? If it's going to be hybrid, are they going to be uh, in person plus uh, a digital video at some point? If there's going to be time for that, how do you really want to structure your convention? And that comes down to your you know, coming up with your framework of your convention. And we're sitting there just kind of listening to what you want to do and figuring out. Uh, once we get down to about a month out is when for us really work starts. Uh, again, you guys, have, uh, if you're wanting to do digital exhibitors, um, getting recordings done, and we really have learned a lot over this past year about what is effective, what works really, really well, and what doesn't. So I would suggest that like anything that can be pre-recorded, pre-recorded. Resolutions, uh, amendments to your constitution, uh, turn around and uh, again, like even, even the Pledge of Allegiance and getting a good recording of the national anthem. Uh, those small little details, um, again, I, I know California did the roll call. Uh, so all these little things that can be pre-recorded ahead of time, I would suggest you do it. Laying that early, front-loading that groundwork is going to pay off in the long run. It's going to make it much smoother. Um, we go through with that last, and we start to put together the team. So what I do is I put together uh, what I, I call them the stream team, uh, which is you know consists of the broadcaster, and I recruit Zoom hosts who are webinar capable, who I've you generally have worked with before, uh, who know my style. Uh, and get them out there and, and we put them in place. Um, each of us coordinators, we do a little bit different and we have our own kind of style to it uh, because I trained Cecily and Katie. They're probably going to be closer to my style. Um, but really, we kind of sit behind the scenes and we generate the panelist links. We generate the attendee links. We uh, make suggestions for you on handling your PR, uh, how to go through, like when to send it out, to the different lists that we have, um, how to broadcast to your uh, affiliate, and uh, then getting it out, opening it up. Again, I, as Sheila and Katie talked about uh, with the auctions, yeah, the, the auctions are really great because you get a chance to get this this whole different 
cadre of people in there that work and then a whole different attendee um, kind of a conglomerate where you're just getting people from across the country. Um, the one thing, yeah, is is really kind of highlighting your state, I would say. And that's that's the way when I talk to them, you know, what should we do? I say, I said, you know, you're getting people that are listening from, as, as was said earlier, across the globe. Highlight your state. This is the chance to really show what your affiliate, your territory, your state does best. What are they known for? What do we do? So get that really chance to shine, um, come up with some innovative stuff, think a little bit out of the box. Uh, we talked about earlier, uh, just a little bit ago, about doing the after. We also do an after uh, action review, uh, kind of look at see what went well, what didn't go well, what worked well for this affiliate may not work well for another one. And we're constantly learning with these things. So the first thing I would suggest to you is if you're thinking about doing anything in the virtual realm of your convention, contact Debbie Hazelton. You can send her an email um, stating what dates you're going to do it so that we can kind of put you in the calendar. Uh, we can get a coordinator assigned to you and then uh, get them onboarded with your convention team your convention committee so we can be in there again as you're planning um, and from the early stages so we can figure out what you're going to need uh, how best we can put you in the best light possible so um, really I think at that point it goes it comes down to just whatever questions we have so that's pretty much it for for my end of it okay Gabriel are you where you able to unmute <laughs> yes Okay. I know. Tell a little bit about your country. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, fortunately, uh, I uh, my my part is short. Um, as many of you know, uh, BPI um, had the undertaking of uh, a special interest affiliate in January of this year. Boy, it was a lot of work, and uh, <laughs> I hope those of you who attended enjoyed it because I'm not sure, at least under my presidency, we're going to have another one. It was so much stress. Um, no, just kidding. It, it was totally worth it. Um, some of the um, things that I wanted to share and artists uh, wanted me to emphasize on, um, one of them was fundraising. And uh, this is probably more applicable to special interest affiliates uh, than um, state affiliates. And um, that's due to the nature of, uh, of each one of them. You know, uh, state affiliates are geographically located. Um, special interest affiliates are all over uh, the country. So having said that, um, for us fundraising, we tried um, to do like Katie said, outside the box, uh, because we know that within the ACB community, um, you know, we're, we're all, it's, it's, we're all a close circle and, uh, and, and we fundraise around the year for different causes and different, um, events. So in our case, for example, we fundraised within the LGBT community. So, um, this is just, for example, uh, for, uh, special interest affiliates, uh, like I, like, like I said, you know, within your uh, groups outside of the actual blind community or outside the ACB community, for example, ACB teachers can fundraise within groups of teachers, whether locally or nationally. It, it you know it expands so many opportunities of fundraising. Um, same thing with uh, lawyers. You know, they can go outside uh, their group and uh, find their 
local or nationwide uh, groups of lawyers. Um, and, and, and that uh, also opens up another door because I we saw that while fundraising uh, within our LGBT community nationwide was not that impressive uh the you know financially it was not that impressive we did not get that uh, massive amount of donations um at least it opened up to visibility outside of uh, our acb community and uh, now you know other groups in our case other lgbt organizations know of us uh, and we connected with with other groups uh you know including names big names like uh, human rights campaign or other coalitions of people who are um, disabled and part of the lgbtq community so you know uh, you don't have you don't have anything to lose with reaching out to your networks outside outside of acb and like i said you 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 explore new avenues in terms of fundraising. But even if you don't get, if you get $200, those are $200 that you didn't have, plus you get visibility outside the ACB community. So our convention um, was uh, virtual. It was January, so it was uh, still pre-vaccine uh, rollout. So uh, the other thing that I wanted, and, and artists, I forgot to mention this to you, but I'm gonna share it because it's important. Uh, for uh, especially um, uh, those uh, special interest affiliates who are thinking of having a virtual convention, we saw that uh, it is very important to have uh, a lot of content to fill the gaps in between events because it is unrealistic to think that we're going to have, say, three days full of back-to-back -back events. Uh, so it is important to have content because... Um, I know that the ACB media network people uh, devote a lot of time and they will de dedicate an entire weekend to you and to your convention. So to make the most out of, out of their effort and out of your convention, it is important to have uh, fillers, you know, pre-recorded interviews or pre-recorded events that you can just... Um, just you know put in between your events so that way there's no um confusion or there's no like dead airspace so those are the tips and recommendations that i would have for anyone uh trying to embark in that in that uh in that world of virtual or hybrid convention and the last thing I'm going to say, not trying to scare anyone, but be prepared because it is a lot of work. And I know Sheila and uh, Katie <laughs> uh, have already attest to that and um, definitely um, make 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 good friends with, with the ACB Media Network people because they're your best ally if you want to do a virtual convention. You're not yes, I know. <laughs> I know Sagebrush. Um, Sagebrush was in January, and uh, that's one thing we really learned. Uh, we did a virtual in February for uh, the Rendell Shepherd, and the having all of the recorded um, sponsors and exhibitors. We use that for all of our breaks, and that worked well. But then we also let our sponsors actually have time to speak. Um, where they can have people ask questions. So it's 
you know, great when you do the mix, but it does, like you said, it requires a lot of time and coordination. And since I was the main coordinator with it, it did take me a lot more time than it did when we were just doing an in-person conference. So that's one thing we need to really make sure we have enough people on the team to actually step up and help, which is really vital to having a successful one. Okay, we've got time for... I'd like to add one quick thing. Okay, go Um, ahead. Quick. um, Just regarding content. If you guys are planning on content plan early because you need to make sure you secure copyrights if you're going to if you're going to broadcast if you're going to ask us to broadcast copyrighted material you know if you're going to do music that's copyrighted if you're going to do um you know shows or video described uh tv shows or something like that you need to have the copyrights in place and that's on the affiliate to get that not acb media okay uh go ahead sheila and i also want to say that it's a lot harder to plan a virtual or hybrid convention than it is a, an all-in-person convention. A lot harder. Definitely. Okay, do we have a, a, a couple of questions from the audience? Do we have any hands raised? You do. Let me uh, Jamaica, you are allowed to talk. Yes, my question is to the California Council and the Florida Council. What did you do about the board, um, the board for the for the conference? Did you have them on Zoom or did you just let them be um, as an in-person uh, group when you had the board meeting? We had we had a hybrid board meeting in November, Jamaica, if that's what you're talking about. And we had some that were there and some that were on Zoom. And then what we did for California is, is everything was on Zoom. We didn't have anything in person at all. Um, our board is very spread out throughout the state anyway. And um, and we had our board meeting outside of our quote-unquote main event because we actually had a full uh, two weeks prior to the main event of convention of pre-convention, which included that pre-convention board meeting. Hey, do we have another question? Yes, you do. Alan, you are allowed to talk. Yes, um, I am curious to know kind of a ballpark figure as far as the cost of conducting a hybrid convention. I guess my question is directed to Sheila and uh, to the California Council as well. And also, I have another question. If if a person is, uh, can you dial up phone to attend a convention because, you know, we have a lot of people that aren't computer savvy. So two questions. The first question I can answer, our costs probably, and Katie, correct me if I'm not even in the ballpark, but I think between the equipment and everything we had to pay for the audio in the hotel and the contract with the AV people and we hired an outside AV person to come in, it probably went close to $10,000 when you start including everything. So Katie and I... That, that's pretty much in the ballpark. And next year, it won't be quite so expensive because we have our we have mm-hmm. our boards for the meeting. So it's not going to be quite as expensive, but right. it was pretty pricey. Yeah, a lot, a lot more than we thought. And, and California has not went hybrid yet, but as we've done our research... Um, it's it's going to be pretty pricey. Hotels have gone up quite a bit. Food and beverage minimums have gone up quite a bit. So 
it, it's uh, definitely an, an interesting cost. <laughs> um, Sean, you are allowed to talk. Good afternoon, uh, Sean Thiel, ACB Ohio here. One of the things that we have been trying to figure out as we've been having our convention planning meetings is, are we just going to, to stream a little bit of the convention over ACB radio as we've done in the past, or how far exactly we're going to go? One of the things that we have always done in our in-person conferences, as far as I know, is we would have two workshops scheduled at the same time in different rooms. Is it still possible to do that in a hybrid convention or do we need to think about just having one at a one at a time to, to make things easier? And I you know, I'm gonna see what we can do about getting uh, if we decide to go hybrid, I'm gonna see if I can get the convention planning folks to talk with ACB media as soon as we can, if that's the way we're we, we're just not really even sure at this point, which is why I came to this uh, this session. So this is kind of a, a Tyson question. What do you, what are some logistical things that we should be thinking about? All right. Thanks or that anyone, time. or that anyone who's doing this should be thinking about. Right. Exactly. So uh, in answer to your first question, yes, you can do two rooms at the same time. However, only one of those is going to be able to be strained. So that would be coordinated with the, with your uh, media coordinator. Uh, to go ahead and set all that up. Uh, the second one would be on uh, your affiliate to run that Zoom room. Now we can provide the host, uh, the ACB media host, to help you run that Zoom room, but that wouldn't be um, done through uh, through ACB media. We, we provide you with one webinar room, one stream channel, and of course the entire team is needed to help run your convention. So, um, yeah, but you could do it. We just have to send out different links, uh, create different rooms and different links and such like that. One would be a standard Zoom instead of a webinar, unless your affiliate wanted to pay for webinar for that second uh, Zoom account. This is Katie, if I can answer for Florida. What we did was we did have ACB Radio do our main Zoom room. We had all of our sessions Zoomed in there. And when we were planning for the convention, we made sure that whatever we put on Zoom would be meaningful and easy to follow for the people listening. In our second Zoom room, we only had a few sessions in there. FCB, this was our Zoom room account. We did for that month pay for a webinar, fee, uh, extra fee of $40. And we did, uh, I would open the meetings. And then like Tyson said, we did have ACB hosts to help us with that because I couldn't stay in that room and then go back to the other room because we kind of had them staggered like a half hour apart. Plus we had to have a half a hour half hour in between each session per room so that they can come in and clean the rooms. So it was a lot of coordinating of the schedule. And and just to kind of add, you know, something here as well, because you asked, you know, how much should you stream? And, you know, my answer would be to stream as much as possible. You know, the, the um, I like what Katie said, you know, the meaningful content is very important to get out there. And the reason being is more people are going to listen through ACB media then they are going to get onto Zoom just because it's easier. You know, we all have, uh, you know, Lady A's hanging around and, you know, it's really easy for folks to do that. And so you're going to have a lot of people listening in that way. So the more streamed, the better. What I did was uh, when I sent out the schedule for everyone, I tried to make it as less convoluted as possible. I sent out 
because we streamed on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. What I did was I had the ACB radio. I sent that out for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then for the FCB Zoom room, I called it FCB Zoom room so people would know the difference. And I sent that out as a separate schedule. But no matter what you do, people are going to get mixed up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for um, each of you um, talking about the different segments of the tools for planning a convention. And I know that Sheila and Katie have to go to be hosts on another call. So they're going to be leaving us. But uh, I hope the rest of you uh, stay on the panel. The next um, panel that we're going to have is we're going to be talking about how to conduct elections at a virtual or hybrid convention. And on that panel, we have Sarah Harris, first vice president of California Council of the Blind, and uh, Maria, and all of a sudden I lost her last name, uh, from the Guide Dog Users of America and the New York Guide Dog Users. So I we'll go with Maria Sarah. Hansen. Is Maria Hansen in the audience instead? I think she came in on uh, on her phone. I'm in the, I'm on the I'm here. Okay, great. Thank you, Maria. Appreciate that. Awesome. Okay. All right. So voting elections. Oh my gosh. So California got super lucky because in 2019 um, we had changed our bylaws and we had this whole elastic clause of the virtual world because we did not think that we were even going to be able to sustain an in-person convention in 2020, you know, due to, you know, traveling, things are super expensive. California is expensive to travel in. And we wanted to um, look at the possibility of moving to the virtual platform in order for uh, members to be able to participate um, even more because again, it was getting hard. Well, guess what? We got lucky and we did really well in 2019 and we had decided to go ahead and have an in-person convention in 2020. And then as everyone knows, the world, um, you know, went upside down and backwards. And so when we looked at, uh, you know, 2020 going virtual, we're like, wait a minute, we have this great elastic clause that we can vote in the virtual world within our bylaws. So our first year around um, voting went well for you know, the fact that we had no clue what we were doing. We had a couple of um, our staff members, paid staff that were in there um, taking votes. And we had Jeff Tom overseeing you know, what was going on and, and we made that all work. And it took a long time, a very long time, not even gonna lie. So what we did was we went back to our membership and we said, hey, what didn't and didn't work for convention? Number one was, they thought that elections took too long. They thought it would be better to have more people um, taking phone calls and text messages for voting. And, and also they really thought it would be better for it to be volunteers. And so that's what we did. Um, Jeff reached out to our Delta Gamma um, sorority over at Sacramento State, and they got together um, five young women who um, worked with us. And, and what they did was we had taken all of our members that had registered for convention and those who had certified that they were paid members, we split those into four groups 
of folks. And that way, each one of the young women would have their own list of people. We sent out to our members their um, official number that they were to text or call when it was time to vote. And they would call that number. And as I said, there were four lists. So there were four young women that were conducting, uh, taking phone calls. Then we had one young woman who was our information desk person. So if someone had lost their information or wasn't sure which one to call, they could call her. Um, She had all the lists in front of her and she could let them know which phone number was, was theirs for them to either text or give a phone call to. We had thought about, um, you know, doing this in a few different ways. You know, we looked at the possibility of using Zoom rooms. I know other affiliates have done that. But what we found was that this was what was going to work for most of our membership. And that's always important as we have to remember, we can't make everything work for everyone, but we can definitely make things work best for, for most. And so with bringing in volunteers with um, coming up with a good system to work with our office manager on of, you know, separating the names and certifying folks, um, we were able to, you know, again, make that happen. And also, you know, number one is we did have, like I talked about earlier, subcommittees. We had a great subcommittee that made sure that everything ran smoothly on this end as well. Thank you, Artis. Hey, Maria. Yes. Guide Dog Users, Inc., has had um, experience with two different voting systems. In 2008, Guide Dog Users, Inc. was the first ACB affiliate to adopt universal telephonic voting. Uh, That would empower all our members and give them a vote, even if they were not able to attend convention. And I think that's really important. I think if you've got to physically attend a convention, it's disadvantageous to some members who can't attend for whatever reason. And I call it a poll tax. So the first system we used was if, oh, before I do that, uh, there were a couple questions that we were sent to to kind of think about. And one had to do with constitutional (coughs) changes. So GDUI first did telephonic voting in 2008, and after the fact, it turns out that they should have amended their bylaws, which they did in 2009 to make uh, this more legal, let's say. So a lot of things have advanced technology-wise since 2008, and this is what we used back then. It was a system called If By Phone, which was our office system. And to kind of ensure that only members could vote, GGUI had given all its members ID numbers that they kind of kept for years. So they would use (laughs) that ID number. And then when they called in to vote, that would be one of the questions. Now, some of this, I'm a little hazy on the details. One of the problems I remember with the system is if you wanted to abstain or not vote on a particular issue, because we didn't just use that system for officers um, and directors, but we use it for bylaw changes. But that system did not allow you to abstain. You had to vote in order to move to the next 
question or race. So that was a problem. Uh, one of the other problems was that after the fact, to tally the votes, GGY hired some people that they felt were independent that could verify the results. And I think on occasion, they would try to match the uh, member's ID number with their phone number. And on a certain level, uh, you know, and these were independent people that, but, you know, my understanding is, you know, they had no connection with GDOI, but there was still discomfort as to privacy and security. And the other issue is one time it took quite a while before we got the results. And I mean, it was several days gone. I think it was even over a week. So the cost of the system, though, was modest because that was our phone system for the office. And then we paid the person who certified the results. GDI decided that it was important as technology was changing to look for a new system and uh, security uh, and privacy, speed of results, et cetera, were all issues that were important to us. So we went with Vote Now, which is a system that ACB is using this election. And we've been using that since 2015. And um, we really like it. Um, there are several things that offers, as you see, both online voting and telephonic voting, either you, the member, independently entering uh, your vote, or if there's an issue, you can uh, request help from uh, staff at Vote Now. And this is truly universally accessible because it opens it up even to our deafblind members. As far as making sure that only members can vote, um, well, GDY is incorporated in the District of Columbia, as is the American Council of the Blind. And under the nonprofit code, there are certain requirements about voting. One thing is there's a record date. So to be eligible to vote, you have to be a member in good standing, which means dues current as of a certain date. And at uh, the end of that date, our secretary, I believe, sends that information to vote now. So they have a list of all the people that are eligible to vote as of the record date with all their contact information. The other thing the D.C. code uh, requires is that only eligible voting members get the voting information. So when we send out uh, information about the election, say we're using that same list that's sent out. But we love the system. It's truly universally accessible. It's absolutely secure, very private. Nobody at GDY knows anybody's ID numbers. <clears throat> when Vote Now sends us an ID number, it's for that election that year, and the next time get totally different numbers. Uh, you can vote independently, and it's very, very empowering. Our, the one shortfall is it's expensive. One of the other things, though, is you get the results right away. Vote Now, it's just everything done automatically in all the percentages. And the people that vote now, you know, we've been using them since 2015, and they're just so responsive to whatever issues. Sometimes we've had members 
who have problems um, with the system for whatever reason, and we can let vote now know, and they will call that person and um, help them cast their vote. So that's how we've dealt the, the two systems that we've used. Now, of course, you know, technology has improved since 2008 and security, so, but we're happy with vote now. Well, thank you, Maria. I do know that um, the Washington State, they used a system where they actually used Zoom for voting, where they had separate Zoom rooms that people could call into, like a blue, green, yellow, whatever, and they'd split up the members and have them call a certain Zoom room. And then you were allowed in one by one to give your vote, and then you'd go back out. And mm -hmm. that, so that was, you know, less expensive. And I know that uh, this summer, uh, some of the affiliates are doing the Zoom room way, but they're just doing raising their hands. So that mm -hmm. if you have two candidates, you just take turns of first candidate, they can raise their hand and count them. And it is a little bit time. You have to wait for everybody to get their hands raised and then lower them again for the next vote. But it's, you know, less expensive way to do it, as, and it especially works well if you have a lower number of people in your affiliate. If you don't have a really large affiliate, it works pretty well. I was on two of them this week, and it worked well for both of those. But they have a lot smaller numbers, you know, attending the conferences. So that's something that affiliates need to keep in mind as well. Can I ask you, Maria, uh, how much mm -hmm. was the cost for Vote Now? Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember this year, I think it was around 3700 I think ACB is getting a much better deal in a way for as many members as they have. But to us, the Privacy and the security issues were so important that we feel that this is really important, that, that nobody at GGI is going to know how the members vote, among other right. things. Well, I know the special interest affiliates that did it uh, this summer, they used um, Zoom hosts and not any members to uh, mm -hmm. do the hand raising. And so therefore it was mm -hmm. private, you know, to mm -hmm. none of the members knew who was voting for who. So I think mm -hmm. that, you know, that worked. But I thought I heard them saying $3 per member for ACB. And uh, somebody told me that you guys paid like $5 per member since you had a lot less people. But I might not be right, but I just wanted to kind of give people a sense that it's not cheap to use Vote Now, but it definitely mm -hmm. is a great system. Okay, can we have questions from the audience? Sean, you are allowed to talk. All I want to say is that I worked with the Vote Now people over the phone uh, to sort out some screen reader issues, and they were absolutely amazing. Um, but that does sound like quite an expense. So I don't know if that's something we would... We used a system similar to what the previous speaker was talking about with some volunteers and a couple of Google voice numbers, and that worked pretty well. But uh, the Vote Now people... Uh, are very good to work with. I've worked with them a couple of times to kind of like switch over to radio buttons and they were really awesome to uh, the gentleman I worked with was really good. So that's all I had to say. Great. Other questions? Matt, you're allowed to talk. Well, first of all, can I go back to the previous 
panel. Is that okay? Sure. Uh, go more ahead. questions about that. Okay. All right. So we're looking at doing a hybrid convention in the fall. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on the ratio of in-person presenters versus hybrid. If you have any thoughts on the structure of like registration fees, like what that would look like for either. If there's any technical limitations that you encountered, such as upload or download speeds on the Wi-Fi, because you're going to need that. And that's all I got. So I know it's like three questions in one. It, it is. Thanks. And you know what, Matt, uh, Katie and Sheila who with Florida who did the hybrid convention have already left us, but they did say that anyone can reach out. And I don't know, Tyson, did you work with them on any anything? Do you know um, any of the answers to those questions? I didn't work with those two particular ones, but I'll tell you, Matt, um, one thing about your very last question is you want to work with your hotel. You want to be hardwired. You don't want to use their Wi-Fi. Uh, it, it's tends to be spotty at best with those and uh, it's it's not going to be um, not going to be a cheap endeavor uh, I would suggest um, as far as technical limitations again contact uh, Debbie and get one of us uh, in there on your guys's meetings and planning and we can start to talk about what you guys need and want and how to best make that work for you guys and I think Tyson you would probably say you know connect early and connect often um, I was <laughs> because just you thinking that yeah, everybody needs to be on the same page. It's so important. And this is Gabriel. I know I, uh, I'm i here on, on behalf of BPI, but I was, um, I happened to be at the Florida convention and I chair the uh, scholarship committee. So I had to host the awards banquet on Friday evening. And I have a little bit of experience and I can tell you from my observations and uh, from the conversations that I had with Sheila, Katie, Sally and other members of the uh, Florida Convention Committee is that we had a mix. We had a good mix um, of of uh, both uh, in person via Zoom speakers. For example, our keynote speaker for the uh, banquet on Saturday was in person, but other speakers, for example, for the smaller workshops, there was a there was a mix. Some of us were in person. Uh, speakers for workshops and we had some of them joining us via zoom same with the attendees the attendees were uh there was a good mix normally in an fcb convention i've been going to them for years uh normally we have somewhere around the i would say 200 and 300 attendees this time we had about 120 in person and the rest were joining via zoom as far as attendees and the registration was the same because even though some or most of our events were being transmitted through a back then ACB radio, now ACB media, if you wanted to participate and ask questions and get a Zoom link to actually participate on the workshops, you had to register. And the registration fee was the same for both in-person and uh, Zoom attendees. And uh, I hope that I was able to answer some of your questions. Well, I know uh, usually the difference in the registration is obviously that people that attend in person would also have to pay for the meal package. So that's yeah. probably the biggest difference in the registration fee. Yeah, and there was there was a you know uh, on the uh, Florida registration page there was a there was an option to select if you were attending the banquets or not, and I believe Katie and Sheila have mentioned that after the experience 
actually they're going to take it a step further and uh, moving forward in 2022 uh, we're still going to have a hybrid convention here in florida so i think from the very get-go of the registration form it's going to ask you if you plan to attend in person or via zoom when you're registering and that way if you click zoom it won't even get take you to the banquet prices or uh, meal packages okay thank you uh, do we have time for one more question you have about two minutes left two minutes left okay we'll take one more question ray you are allowed to talk ah hello thank you very much uh quit this i'll make this real quick this is for sarah and Sarah, my question to you is, and maybe you know the answer, maybe you don't. Your affiliates, how did your affiliates uh, caucus and get their votes so they knew how to split their delegate vote? Because that's what's something we're struggling with as we think about hybrid here in Illinois. So how did each delegate get their vote from their individual chapter or affiliate? Is that the yes. question? That was worked out, you know, with, with each chapter. So I can say, like, for instance... Our, I, you know, I'm the local chapter president too in Fresno. Our chapter, we kind of did some guessing prior to when convention started of, you know, the way that elections may have went. Because one thing that we made sure of is we had our nominating committee prior to convention so that the slate was out there into the universe. And then, of course, also like the candidates forum, all those things had happened so that people were aware of who was on the slate as well as who may run from the floor so that um, chapters and affiliates could meet and make some determinations um, in order to kind of make some guesstimates. And then on the day of um, actual elections, you know, chapter members could reach out to the delegate and the alternate. And that's the same thing we're doing, you know, here on the national level is, is we're having you know, people reach out to, you know, Gabe, our president and myself and, and you know, say who they would like. And then we're, you know, splitting the vote in accordance. So it just takes some you know effort on that chapter affiliate to make sure that they're keeping in communication with folks. I hope that answered your question. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate that. Well, I want to thank everyone for uh, speaking on the panels, as well as those who are participating. And remember, if you have any questions afterwards, you can either contact me, Artis Bazin, as chair of membership, or any of the respective panel members that you wish to contact. And if you want their contact information, you can just send me an email. And I'll give you my business email, A-B-A-Z-Y-N at B-A-Z-Y-N communications.com. And thank you again for attending. Have a great rest of the convention.